Hey everyone, thanks for joining us for Lightstar Office Hours on September 29th. We talk about using PDM instead of poetry throughout the Lightstar organization, Python 3.12 support, and removing some packages on the Lightstar base package. We hope you enjoy this one and you can always catch us next week live or check the recording after. Hello, hello. How's it going? Hey. Hey. I made it. Made it. I think uh, Cody will be joining us soon, I think. At least he said so. Well, you've had a busy week. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Been doing quite a bit of work-related stuff and other adventures that have been going on. But I did manage to, <laughs> I don't know if you've looked at it yet, I did manage to finish up the DTO code gen stuff. So, hopefully... I'm like uh, a third of the way through the yeah. review. I'm excited well, about it. I think Cody already looked at it the last time I showed it to him, and he said it the code wasn't as horrible as he thought it would be. <laughs> hmm. Have you have you been working on the PDM stuff? How's that going? Um. Let me find the PR. Um, yes. I can't remember what the last thing I was stuck on was. Um, oh, it was that, I think it was that CI issue uh, with, um, oh no, I got past that. Never mind, I'm dumb. Um, I just have to fix the dependencies after putting them into those nested groups. I think. Sounds good. Um, yeah. I think I'm going to try to wash some bugs this weekend. It looks like we have some that have accumulated during the last week. During this week. Like five or six or so. Oh, never mind. Peter already looked into this. And this as well. <laughs> yeah, he's been yeah, on it's it. It's really great to have him back. So nice not having... Not just being the three of us or something that take this stuff on. Yeah. Um, so, I think... Now that the oh I I see I see Cody, can we bring him up here? Does that work like that? Yeah, I hope it does. Hello. Hey guys, sorry I'm a few minutes late. You've been firefighting at work. Yeah, I have actually. Um, so I managed to get some crazy. Um, SQL that is not cooperating at all. And so um, I've been on a call just kind of triaging and uh, reformatting it and making it simpler. Um, see if I can get the explain plan to be happy with what I have going on. So far, no, no luck, though. <laughs> well, then I guess it can wait another hour, right? Well, yeah. So I have basically <laughs> the test that I have running. Um, 
take about an hour to get to that point. And so <laughs> I was rushing to get it, get it going so that it would run while we were actually um, having this discussion. So um, I'm like hopeful that I'm going to have some good news when I get off the call, but you know, maybe, maybe that's wishful thinking. Well, yeah, let's hope, let's hope you do. And the, the sequel is, you know, getting on the thousand plus lines long and it's, um, un, and it's under some larger circumstances than what, what I typically see in terms of data volume. And so I'm having to do some tuning here, what I wish I probably should have done already. And the where clauses all have things that are like, um, um, they're not like where the column equals the other column. It's got some function-based index like, you know, or function-based call like coalesce or something like that. So I've been in the process of going through and adding function-based indexes. So those clauses will actually um, be seen in the, in the, the explain. So it might not actually be a DuckDB problem, but a, a, a uh, user uh, problem. Yes. It's most it's it's more than likely a user problem and not a Doug DB problem. But but I, I haven't figured out where the problem is. But it's definitely between the, the head and the keyboard. Somewhere there. Yes, most definitely. DuckDB, you haven't heard about DuckDB yet. That's unbelievable. So let me get the uh let me get the message. Um yeah, so DuckDB is um, a uh, in-memory analytical database that functions very much like SQLite. So you can you think about how you connect to SQLite. You basically just give it a you know a connect string and a file uh, like a, a, a path where you want to write the uh, the database, or you can also use an in-memory um, SQLite. DuckDB has the exact same configuration. So once the Python process is over, then the in-memory database basically just goes away. Um, and it's built on the Postgres dialect, but it's um, but it adds quite a, a lot of uh, HTAP um, and OLAP type of query options for you. So I use it, I'm using it particularly to do like a, an ETL process where we get lots of zip files that contain lots of CSVs within them. And somebody might give us like 500 CSVs or a thousand or 2000 CSVs or zip files that have many CSVs within them. And so we then use DuckDB to stage all that data into what we call like this canonical data model. And so we can accept many different versions of the, of the files, uh, many different versions of the zip. And so it basically stages them all into one central location and then extracts that into one common format. And so we use DuckDB to do all the, like the in-flight, intermediate, in-memory ETL so that we don't have to have all these extra tables in Postgres or wherever we're gonna stage the data uh, ultimately or land it. And we end up basically cutting you know, our requirements down from a hundred tables that we might use just for ETL and transformations down to like five tables that we actually need to store everything in in the final product. And maybe I can work up a simple example it's at some point soon that's not using company data for you guys to see how, how that ETL process works. But we use Lightstar to upload all the files. Uh, and we use, well, Lightstar and SAC and a couple other things to actually schedule and manage all the processing. It would be really nice to be able to take a look at what you've been building there. 
And just a, one last note on it, I guess I should say, I'm not actually using the SQL Alchemy component for DuckDB. I'm actually using um, a library called AIO SQL to take files that I have on my file system that represent, you know, select statements or EDL statements to create things and then use um, this, this orchestration that we that I built around AIO SQL to dynamically execute uh, the, the transformations. And then that actually goes into something that is in, you know, stored in the repository and, and uses the SQL alchemy classes. So how's everybody's week been? Huh. Busy. <laughs> I hear you. I have been traveling a lot and it's uh, finally my travels are over, at least for the short term. And so I'm trying to to dig out of uh, uh, the pile of work that's been sitting around. What What's what's that? Oh, age of empires like super old. Yeah. No way you don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, not super old, but I mean, four, four is out. <laughs> so, um, Yannick, tell us a little bit about the, the DTO CodeGen uh, PR that's, that's out there. I haven't had a chance to look at it, but um, you know, I, I didn't even realize that you were still wrenching on this behind the scenes. And then all of a sudden, we, I see the good news this morning. Yeah, well, I mean, it's pretty much from the from the essence. It hasn't changed much since you've last looked at it. Um, I've just cleaned it up a bit more. Um, added some more test cases. I added a feature flag in the DTO config and in the application, and um, yeah, added some documentation and comments to make it all a bit more, a bit nicer, a bit more understandable. Um, but yeah, functionally, uh, it's it's pretty much there. And uh, yeah, well, if if someone uh, dares to review it, uh, we can we can maybe get it in. Uh, yeah. So for the uninitiated, I, I have been working on code generation for DTOs for quite a while now. Uh, probably mentioned that already in the last office hours and in the podcast as well. And the idea is that we use DTOs for a lot of things in LightStar, for example, the SQL Alchemy integration or just general handling of, well, data. But there's a lot of, there is some performance overhead involved because we're basically doing a round trip from the structuring and destructuring, which isn't ideal. And the idea was that we could maybe get this down to a bare minimum of overhead for that by generating very efficient Python code that could then perform these transformations. And instead of doing it dynamically, we could do it statically. So instead of if you have a DTO, we would previously loop over all the fields and then check if, I don't know, a field needs to be renamed and then look up that name and then store that in a dictionary. 
But since we know all this information beforehand and we know all the fields, we could, for example, unroll that loop and just have the renamed strings in there as a constant. And so that's one thing that's, uh, yeah, not, well, that's one part of the code that isn't there anymore, which, I mean, no code is always faster than, well, everything else. So, and the results have been quite, quite good, I would say. There is still some overhead involved, obviously, because we're, we're still doing encoding from here to there, but it's a lot faster. I think in the worst case, we're like three times faster, and in the best, it's like six or so, which is quite significant in, in some cases. And I'm sure there's still a performance left. Uh, and where would that performance and, impact be be seen? Is that like something that you see every request or something in startup or or how how does that performance improvement manifest so itself? So for startup, depending on how we go about this, for startup at the moment it will actually be a bit slower um, because it has to generate all these functions. We generate like six or seven functions for every DTO. So that's I don't know, depending on how many DTOs you have, it's quite a lot. I'm thinking if we might want to change that so that these functions only get generated once they're needed. Um, but we'll, I don't know, we'll have to do some real-world testing and see how, how much that actually impacts performance. But it would... So every request that you're using that has DTOs would become faster. Um, because well, instead of having a, I know having a transformation that takes like, well, it's just uh, the overhead. You're you're paying the cost for these very highly dynamic transformations on every request. So the less cost you're paying for that, the the better for your, um, for your application. And it's basically. I mean, right now you can think of it as like, if you take in the data and then you parse it using message spec and you have a struct, and after that you do take the struct again and parse it again with message spec. That's a very, very simplified version of what we're doing at the moment. And this PR attempts to reduce the, this process to an absolute, absolute minimum so that only the, the bare minimum steps that are involved will actually get executed. And I guess really to your point about it, there being a, a cost at startup, it really probably is not noticeable unless you have a significant number of DTOs and models. And so maybe maybe if there is something like that and we're starting to see people, you know, I'm actually don't know. Time, maybe there's... I haven't checked this at all. I have no idea how much uh, this sort of time this this will be. I, I don't have any idea. I mean, it's not like it's going to take a few seconds or, or something like that. But if you have, I don't know, 100 DTOs or something, then you would generate like 700 functions for that. That might take a while. Yeah, I, I still, it doesn't sound like it's, I mean, unless there's many of them, it's probably not significant. No, it's not. It's, it's probably going to be like a few, 
in the worst case, it's going to be like a second or so, maybe if you have a really high amount of DTOs. But yeah, it's probably also something we can look into if it's if it turns out to be a problem, we can optimize that and maybe we can yeah, make it lazily evaluated or something. That That's a problem I'm quite sure we will be able to fix. And so, yeah, um, right now this is, will be behind a feature flag, so will be introduced as an experimental feature. So by default, the standard DTO backend will be used for everything. Um, and then you can opt in, you can either set a flag on the Lightstar application itself, then it will just use this new backend for everything by default. But you can also do it on a per DTO basis. So you can uh, add this flag to the DTO config and just say, use the experimental backend. And that will override the flag you set on the application. So you have full control for experimentation. And the idea was that we, you know, could just have them both in parallel for a while and see how how it goes, what people what people's impressions are. If there, I don't know if there's a lot of problems with this approach. So I'm I'm not sure yet if there will be, um, and if it's if it's feasible to maintain as well, if it's worth it, because it is harder to maintain and reason about. I mean, the other approach also isn't super straightforward. It's quite complicated, quite a lot of nested recursive function calls and all that, but at least it's all written out there. And that's not like this huge complicated intermediate step in there as well that writes some Python code and then does stuff with it. And also, and you got even, even if you look at the code that it's uh, being generated, it's really ugly code um, because it does a lot of performance trickery that you normally wouldn't write by hand uh, because it doesn't make sense to do so. But since uh, we're not writing this by hand, we can use these little tricks. Uh, so even if you look at it, it's not very not very pretty, it's not very easy to debug. So this is something I also want to get a feeling for how how hard it is to maintain that. And yeah, then after a while we see if it's worth it and maybe we then switch to this as a default backend. And you got this hidden behind a, a feature flag or a, a, did I see there were, I saw that there was like an experimental feature thing that you were looking to, to add in? Yeah, so I've added um, a new parameter to the Lightstar class, uh, which is called, I forgot how it's called. Um, I think it's like experimental features, yeah. So it's an iterable that takes enums and we have a new enum in the application config that's just experimental features. For now, it's just a DTO code gen, but I thought this was a good way to do this in, in case we might want to add more experimental features in the future. So you can just pass a list of experimental features that you want to have for your application. I got it. So you actually pass in the, the feature that you would like to enable. And I guess this is not yeah. too dissimilar to have that, the feature flag or future flag that was in SQL Alchemy. Um, 
part is in mm -hmm. SQL Alchemy. So it's kind of yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah, that and then you can also do the same thing on the DTO config. There is a new Boolean value that you can set that's experimental code gen backend. You can set that to true and then it will also enable the code gen backend for that DTO only. Which is quite useful because we, we do the, the backends per DTO. Every DTO gets its own backend. So we can do that on a per DTO basis. So if you have something I don't know, if you have an edge case or something like that where the code gen backend doesn't work or for some reason it performs really badly, then you can just switch it off for one DTO. And the other way around as well, you can just selectively enable it for one particular DTO. Really cool. Um, so I'm going to take a look at this and, and review it today. Um, yeah, have at it. Cool stuff. There was one other thing. It's been a busy week and, and not necessarily for, uh, I haven't had enough time to devote to Lightstar that I normally would. Um, one of the things that I did see in the chat though was around Faker. Um, is there a TLDR on, on the, the Faker things that we've been discussing? I think it was, was it the well, yeah, weight so of some it? Some of the things was, that I've noticed is that well, when I profile thing. my own application, I've noticed that Faker is one of the larger things and slower imports that I have. And there's a couple of things that I think we could do. You know, one, there's probably ways that we could lazy load Faker or even make it optional um, because I think you really only need it for the um, open API code gen samples if you've got that turned on. Um, so that's one thing, but there may be other ways to optimize it too. And I think there's also other libraries out there. And so maybe I didn't catch it all. Yes. Yeah, someone suggested that we use a different library. I forgot what it was called. Um, yeah, Mimesis. that one. Mimesis. Which. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I probably butchered that. Yeah. yeah, I think Turn, Nikita turns is out like a maintainer, he's, he's a maintainer he, of that. He also so recommended he it. Be very happy to help us integrate. Yeah. And the other guy uh, that maintains it also <laughs> chimed in and said he would love to help us migrate to that, um, which is faster, which is not as heavy as Faker, and it's supposedly quite a lot faster as well, especially for batch data generation. And that's all happened in Polyfactory. Um, so the idea would be to just switch out Faker there. Um, and the other part of that discussion was basically what you said as well, that maybe we make it optional, and that was related to Polyfactory. So we were talking about maybe making Polyfactory an extra that you can install. Because I know that not everyone uses the open API examples. I, for one, don't even use open API. Um, so right. and, I mean, in production, is... you know, I think it's likely that you might want to totally disable the the actual schema yeah. documentation, and so yep. um, it's it makes sense exactly. to be able to trim that de the dependency. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, the idea was if we have if if we have this added polyfactory thing, then we use it, and if not, we we just don't generate the examples. The rest of the open API stuff would still work without it. Oh, the performance comparison. Just that. Oh, that's oh, yeah, a significantly so that's, factor. Yeah. 
<laughs> that is quite significant. <laughs> and also, I think there was someone brought up that it's uh, typed better, which isn't surprising if Nikita is working on that. Yep, that doesn't surprise me. Uniqueness, what's that? Is that the... Does this benchmark imply that Faker is only unique in 33% of the cases? Yep, I would... Um... Oh. So I've noticed that at least for Faker, I had to... I... When I've had to generate large quantities of data, it didn't generate enough uniqueness for me. I ended, and so I even had to turn on like all the locales for for names. Uh huh. Um, and it still cycled through them in not too much time. This was years ago. I mean, the, this does suggest that it's still an issue. And if one one million full names, isn't it? It's not that much. No, it's really not. And so it's not a great thing for batch data, but this is, I didn't realize it was that bad. Off the type of writing my own fake data. Well, I think this is more about if you if you have really big batches. Or I don't know if you want to write out one million unique names yourself. <laughs> I mean, you could probably, but uh, I feel like that's going to take a while. <laughs> <laughs> and so there was one other library that I had seen on Reddit as well, and I think it man managed to make its way into our chat channel. It was around a CLI tool. Was it like Kappa or something like that? Yeah, I think Jacob brought that up, right? The Kappa thing? I haven't actually looked at it yet. Yes. Um... I think it's a clap inspired, which is like a Rust CLI library or crate. I don't know what the right word is. Um, just a, another. It looks like it's uh, kind of click. like uh, Typer in terms I think of Yuri like how you, tried you, just, it. you define like a data class or something for your arguments. Am I reading it correctly? Um... Yeah, it, it, I don't know, I'm trying to look at Typer, I've never gotten to use it. I've not gotten to use it yet. Looks very cool. And it has rich support. Hmm. Well, that's nice. Oh. Does anybody have anything they would like to share? You know, um, happy points from the week with Lightstar. I'm Lightstar related. I guess it doesn't even have to be happy points. If you've got unhappy points, we'd like to hear them too. <laughs> I'd be more happy to hear about happy points, though. <laughs> uh, so one other thing that I have been playing around i mean we recently quite significantly sped up our test suite by 
removing all the SQL Alchemy related stuff. But I think we can do better. Um, at least we can make it a bit less complicated. So one issue, I think we already have like two open PRs for this that deal with the pedantic dependency because we kind of have to test for pedantic one and pedantic two and whatnot. And we install different versions of this. And one thing that I ran into is that Pydantic itself, if you if you install Pydantic, it includes if you install Pydantic two, it includes Pydantic one, so you can run them in parallel. We don't support that uh, because if we have Pydantic two installed, we just use everything Pydantic two and make the Pydantic one features not available. Well, that's not actually necessary. Um, we can easily support both at the same time. We just need to change the way we import stuff. And I think it would also be very easy to test like this. So because Pydantic 1 is included in Pydantic 2, we only need to include Pydantic 2. And, well, that's fairly trivial then, right? If we have Pydantic 2 in installed, then we can just enable features for Pydantic 1 and 2. And if only one is installed, we only enable the features for Pydantic 1. Which would also mean we can get rid of the Pydantic 1 dependency for our testing and don't have to use this complex matrix stuff and poetry, hackery and workarounds to get it somewhat working. Uh, I think that's something we should consider doing. Agree. And speaking of um, pedantic, and I really haven't thought too much about this, but what do you what do you guys think about um, like should we continue to support V one and V two for an indefinite amount of time, or is there a point in time where like Lightstar three should be pedantic two only know. or something like that? I don't know what their policy is for support. I actually have no idea. Are they planning to support it? Is there like already a deadline set for Pedantic 1? Uh, V1 is active for like a year, I think, after oh, V2 I mean, is out. And that would have to be a major version that we where we would drop that support. So it might not be. So if they if they I'm I'm assuming that we're going to have three O out before a year. So maybe yeah. it's not a not a three dot O thing. Well, I don't know. Maybe it could be. So if we were to, I mean, we we will support version two until version four is out. So if version two supports Lightstar, if Lightstar one supports Pedantic one, then you just uh, use Lightstar two instead of three. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's that's reasonable. I mean, for new projects, you're most likely not going to use Pedantic one anyway, right? 
I think that sounds reasonable to me, or but maybe not. Well, maybe we should, I don't know, maybe we should put this out there. Uh, once we start planning towards version 3 and then see what people are thinking. But it's not a, it's not I, a huge I think Yuri saw me mention AI, AIO SQL in the chat and decided to join today. That was a joke, by the way. There's a there's a sarcasm tag you can't see on my face or or my my non typing. <laughs> For those that don't know, he's got an awesome library that adds some Olympic support there. But um, I just happened to run across it one day. <laughs> Just a normal green picture. <laughs> yeah, I got used to that as well. All right, all right. Well, maybe we can put it back. Oh, I see. Oh, my GitHub picture. Oh, yeah. I thought he's talking about the Discord one as well. I think it's the one with my glasses. Yeah, that's the one. Well, don't change it back now. That's going to be even more confusing. <laughs> like, you should only be allowed to change that, like, once a year. So. I, I figured I would be a little bit more professional. So I just took a headshot <laughs> in a bar, apparently, and that's professional. Yeah, that's that's way more professional than sunglasses. <laughs> I can <laughs> see your reason reasoning. <clears throat> I should also <laughs> take a more professional picture than than my half visible bad wordplay. I'm not. So, what is the actual wordplay there? I haven't clicked on it yet <laughs> to see see all of it. So, in theory, I think in GitHub you can see the you can see the full picture somewhere if you click on something. So, it it the full picture says, "Are you going to Scarborough Fair?" And then it has like the stuff be, below it. That's it. It shows pictures of parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme. Got it. <laughs> I, I don't know i did that, that like 10 or 15 years ago and i found it incredibly funny and i just kept it around since because i've gotten used to it you know speaking of not changing anything for 10 or 15 years you should go look at my twitter profile to see what i look like as a kid as a kid yeah i'll go ping it here in the chat so you guys can see me without a beard Well, actually, I can't because I don't have an account there. Oh, you can't even see my... You, it won't no. even let you see the profile now? Oh, but you can see the, the preview in, in Discord. Oh, you look, you look younger, which isn't, isn't surprising, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Quite a bit younger. I mean, how... I think, how I'm, like, I think I'm like coffee's age. Oh, 
Yeah, that is quite a bit younger. So... 20? Yeah, I was thinking more like 18. No, no, I'm, <laughs> I, think I, was, I think I was like 26. Oh. Um, hello, I, I have a s small question. Uh, I apologize if you already talked about it. Um, it's about the 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 default packages installed uh, by Lightstar. I don't know if there is a, a I, I know we we talked about it in the in the members chat, but I don't know if there is an issue that is um, tracking the the state of what are the extras, uh, what are the minimum uh, packages we want to install, etc. And sorry for my uh, for my accent. Oh, no worries, we can understand you. <laughs> no, you're yeah, you're, it's perfect, man, and and I'm glad you're able to join today. We haven't really explicitly talked about that, but I think that's a good thing. We kind of talked about it in a couple of different things, but not really as a as an overall topic. But from my perspective, I'd like to figure out if there's a minimal set of packages we can get to kind of slim down some things because I think there's in few cases, like we already mentioned, there's extras that may not be needed that are included uh polyfactory yeah. being one of them um maybe some other things as well and so making that whole thing easier would be great and obviously um a slimmer profile uh of a light star package would be good as well yeah i mean ideally we should only include those packages that actually are needed to run right yeah exactly and and like Those... an onion, if you want more more features, you 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 add some extras. I don't have the knowledge of uh, deep enough knowledge of the of the library yet to know all that is possible. So it's kind of hard to figure out which so... parts are movable or not. See what I mean? Yeah. So in theory, for the bare minimum to run, we only need any I/O. And message spec. Which is cool. That's it. Yeah, and there's that JSON beautifier that I that I would like to make optional as well. I think there's that that's a that actually has some other extras too, if I remember correctly. But we really don't need need too many. Um, you know, other than of yeah. course Uvicorn or whatever, you know, you're gonna run it on top of. But we also have have another issue and that's this is the bug from poetry, which Adds random required dependencies because right now we have Alembic and SQL Alchemy and PyYAML uh, as required dependencies, which are not required dependencies. But uh, yeah, mm. and that's a poetry bug. Yeah, that's the that's one of the reasons why we we want to switch to PDM. Uh, the poetry bug has been open for like well, now one and a half years now. And so it's basically if you have, I forgot what it was. It's like if you have an optional dependency that's also a required dependency in an optional development extra, then it will export that as a required dependency. So, yeah. Uh, and it doesn't seem like they will be fixing that anytime soon. Yeah. After I saw those um, 
leaking dependencies installed on the the base. Maybe yeah. we want to finish yeah, that PDM it's, it's thing. Yeah, not good. Even more. Um, <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah, I think we should start tracking the de the dependency stuff and try to slim it down. Um, I'm not sure if we can do everything before the next major version. Um, I think we c what we need to keep until the next major version is HTTPX and Polyfactory. We need to keep those. Um, HTTPX we use for the testing client and Polyfactory use for generating open API examples. So we can't get rid of them without breaking stuff. So we'll have to keep them until 3.0, but they should definitely go. And the other things we could actually start making optional now, like the fast query parsers. We could just use that as a drop-in replacement because it is a drop-in replacement for the standard library stuff. Um, Multidict could also be optional because we extend from it and we could just, I mean, we already have a pure Python Multidict implementation. We could just use that. And if if it's installed, I mean, we can still do it in the put it in the standard package. And if it's in the standard package, then it it will be faster. But yeah, I was just about to say this: the standard package sounds like a good idea there. Yeah, I mean that's it's common practice for a lot of Python packages, right? To put like eatups and things that are not necessarily required in an in the standard package. I think UVCorn does it like this as well. Uh, Yuri, one thing that we were talking about, I think, before you joined was Kappa. And I, I specifically remember you mentioned you created a simple little app. What were your thoughts on, on that? Maybe the, the rest of the guys here would like to hear. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's just amazing. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how I, uh, I used Click. I, I love Click. I used it uh, a lot. But the, the API of uh, Kappa is very, very, very neat entirely declarative so and the the the, the, the to say that the, the functions you declare you don't have to to put some decorators everywhere so for testing it's much easier but at least for me to to reason about it it's it's way easier than uh, than click but uh, I, I have to admit, I only tested it for like uh, two hours today, so <laughs> it's a pretty new library, so... Well, I, I'm, in, I'm intrigued. It looks really cool. Yeah, I don't know the Rust equivalent, uh, because I don't uh, program in Rust, but uh, it looks very, very cool. Wait, it's showing me as the owner? Sorry, <laughs> I just saw a chat in the uh, in the channel. It, it, it's something about my I'm the sole owner somehow of the Lightstar Org. <laughs> what, what is this? I'm sorry. That was that was that's my my doing. Um, so for some reason, PyPy 
um, only shows the first author as the author because it doesn't show multiple authors. And uh, when I updated the PyProject channel, I just sorted our names alphabetically. And well, <laughs> you, you're the first one. Okay. In the list. <laughs> yeah. Fun stuff. <laughs> so, so Kappa is written. No, wait, you said something about Rust. It's not written in Rust, right? Alan. No, it's not written in Rust, but it's, uh, it's, uh, it's the equivalent of Clap, which is in Rust. Ah, yeah, got it. And it's the same spirit, which means that mm -hmm. you, you, you declare pretty much everything declaratively. Well, I which I know. think it's a good idea. And you have type ins as well. So I think it's uh, well, I've I, tried so many command line utility tools over the years. And I've never so found something that I found more practical than click. I mean, there are some nice ideas, but I don't know at the end of the day, click just works. And yeah, click just works. I think it, it goes uh, kind of complicated with it's kind of complicated with click when you have groups and you want to to test things and. Uh, when you are used to it and you, you, you're using the library for a long time, I mean, it's, it's easier. But uh, from Maybe reading just, the docs and just testing uh, Kappa for a few, few hours, it, it looks very promising, I think. Hmm. Well, yeah, the group thing in Click isn't all that intuitive i have to admit that i mean if you look at what yeah doing, and the click yeah. runner you know when you have to 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 invoke things and uh, the fact that uh, the the functions you have you have to decorate them you can't test them uh, direct, directly so it's oh yeah uh, that's 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 true that's something i've always been doing i've always been writing two functions for the cli commands so uh, one that uh, is the other so i can test the actual thing more easily which is yeah it's not a great pattern that's true no and you also... end up testing click uh, functions w w with the click runner and uh, you sometimes when you have exceptions that they are not raised properly so you have to go inside the click runner to see what is the the real output of the of the click function and it's not practical yeah that is true and if you look at what we're doing with click um, i mean we, we have to involve quite a bit of uh well weird workarounds and stuff to get our cli to work the way we want it to i mean if there's a better way to do that um i would be very happy about that yeah Maybe I'll look into it. I'll try to see if I can come up with a, a small Lightstar version of uh, of the CLI with Kappa, just to see if it's that, possible that or great, not yeah. too complicated and if it simplifies things. Very cool. And uh, I guess 
I've, I've been on the move for the past couple of weeks, but one of the things I wanted to actually talk to you about was how did the, the mini Jinja in, integration roll out? I mean, I, I know that it's there, but I haven't actually tested it personally. What are your thoughts now that you've kind of had it out there for a little bit and had a chance to use it? I'm not sure I understood the, 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 the chance on what? Mini Jinja or... Um, Ah, mini ginger. Uh, Sorry, that's my southern accent coming out thick, very quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I tested it a, a little bit, but uh, it's the the well. I came to Lightstar because I, I had some uh, quite big application in Face API I wanted to translate for various reasons, and. Um, and uh, most of the applications are very heavy using uh, Jinja templates. So it's not using uh, OpenAPI or JSON stuff. And uh, I was intrigued by mini Jinja because it's the same author than uh, Jinja. And there is a port in, uh, in Python through PyO3. And uh, the, the, the only thing is that I have so, the, the, my templates are so big that, uh, and, and the, the language is not bypass it's not equivalent. You have some little subtleties where you have to change stuff. So I didn't try, uh, I didn't uh, test it fully on a, on a real project, the, the mini Jinja stuff, but I think it, it works fine and uh, I think it's it, it would be easier for someone to test on a new on a new project where you don't have uh, some uh, you know some filters or uh, or stuff like that embedded in Jinja and it's kind of complicated to to make the move to mini Jinja. See what I mean? 100%. I'll have to give it a shot because I actually don't have any Jinja templates in my application at the moment, moment, but I was looking at trying to do a couple of things specifically, maybe for like HTMX integration or something yeah. like that. And um, I'll have to give it a try. Does anyone in the audience have any browser, questions? I see. Yeah, that's actually, yeah, that's one of the things that I noticed as well. That's cool. No, we've only got a few minutes left, but any, any questions from the audience? <laughs> the what? Isn't that like the 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 meat thing? Yeah, Shawarma is a. Lebanese uh, meat or Turkish meat now? 
Yeah, well, I'm I'm in Germany, so we don't have that here. In Germany, we only have Döner, which is ah uh, yeah. Well, I think it's pretty much the same, no? Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's basically that, just uh, served a little bit differently. Yeah. Well, I'm officially hungry now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Twice as we go. Which is turkey now? I, I don't think you can get that with turkey. I mean, we, we have quite a few with chicken here, so, which is basically like... Turkey is a chicken, no? Yeah, I mean, chicken is a very small turkey, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed what, it did. What, <laughs> what kind of questions are these? It may not be English. Otherwise, but absolutely. I always think yeah, good, about good, the, good the Constantinople. It's it's like the first thing that I think about when I wake up. I'm always so confused when I have to work on code that's not in English, but like it's in German or something. I already don't like that. Oh, that <laughs> reminds me of an SAP database. You guys, I don't know if you've ever seen an SAP database, but the, there's like fifty thousand tables, and they they're named with like. German uh, initialism, so it's like three letters and numbers, and you need like a decoder ring to figure out what's going on. <laughs> uh, I'm not exaggerating when I say 50,000 tables in a schema. <laughs> I think it, it, it yeah. literally might be 100,000. Yeah, that yeah, one could stay in your circle. I don't know if you drew that circle or not, but... No, no, no. What are you I doing found with 100,000 tables? Like, are you... <sighs> so these like large someone... ERP systems have have that. Like EBS by Oracle has, I, I mean, I, one schema has 30,000 tables, 30,000 packages. Another schema might have 50,000. And then they have everything synonymed into like one master schema called apps that has... <laughs> A hundred thousand plus, all in, all right there. I think I mean, it's, it's made on purpose to 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 feed the consultants uh, yearly or over the years. No. Yep, definitely. <laughs> see now he's now he's not commenting on that, so I, I see this as confirmed. Wait, wait, I, I'm sorry, I missed that. I think I was reading about the Ottoman Empire. What's going on? I missed that last comment, though. Something about yearly. No, I, I just said that the guys who are developing those schema with hundreds of, uh, well, thousands of tables, often you, you, you end up having, you know, consultants or big consulting firms, like for years, just digging in the code to know what's going on and sometimes like you, me. you wonder if it's made on purpose so i guess full disclosure i worked for eight years in big consulting doing exactly this <laughs> yeah that's why i said you didn't comment on this so uh, yes uh, i've read this as confirmation <laughs> that this is indeed the case well yeah i mean it's it's you know it's hard to at least in the in ERP land, right? You have you're trying to run like an oil pipeline. You know they have to account for the 
taxation and all the the things that go along with how you need to expense the oil in the pipeline as it goes through every territory. And so there's a huge number of like tables and things just to drive all those like configurations so they can track that, okay, I'm at this section of the pipeline, it needs to be taxed X rate. And at this section, it needs to be taxed Y rate. Y rate. And this value means I got to distribute these funds. So these, anyway, it gets insanely complicated. And so my only guess is that I think that it's, it's hard to, figure all that out up front. And so, you know, they come up with these base tables. Okay. The first 50,000, right? The good 50,000. <laughs> and then, and then you immediately get to the point where like, Oh crap, I didn't have it here and I can't add this table. So here comes 50,000 to one. And so before you know it, you end up having this spaghetti mess and it's impossible to manage. Impressive. Impressive or scary? <laughs> impressively yeah. complicated <laughs> yeah well guys i think that's it for this week um unless anybody has anything else looks okay. like my at least one of my duck db issues is now solved guys so one of the problems hey. I have is gone. <laughs> good news uh well we'll see everybody next week next Absolutely. friday same time same place goodbye guys have a good night. thank you all all right all right, everybody, that wraps up the September 29th office hours for Lightstar. We hope you enjoyed the talks. If you'd like to join us in person, you can join the Discord, check the events tab, and it'll have a time and which channel to join. You can come ask questions and chat, raise your hand to speak, or just listen along and hang out. Have a good one.